1 Peter chapter 3, this morning we're going to consider subjection of wives to their own husband. Subjection of wives to their own husband. Amongst the things that have been considered thus far in the Apostle Peter's first epistle is that Christians, having been chosen by God the Father, have a living hope in God, a hope that reaches up to heaven. They are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, they are preserved by God in this gospel age, which will come to an end when Jesus comes again and gathers up his elect from the four corners of the earth. They are born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I hope you're taking some of this stuff in because it's all wonderful and we really need to try and get a, get to understand what we have in Jesus if we're Christians. Christians are living stones in a spiritual house with Jesus as the chief cornerstone holding everything together. They are a royal priesthood, priests of the Most High God. They are his peculiar people. They are a holy nation. This is all in the first couple of chapters of 1 Peter. It's amazing. When you seriously consider all of those facts, there is more than enough in the opening chapters of this letter for any careful reader to completely and utterly dismiss any notion that Christians, people who were born again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, can ever lose their salvation. If you imagine that, you really haven't understood anything about the first couple of chapters of 1 Peter, if you think that Christians can lose their salvation. It's too ridiculous to even consider. Peter's carefully chosen and Holy Spirit-inspired words declare the absolute certainty of full salvation and everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ for all who are trusting in his, in him, in his finished work of redemption. If you thought that having all of those blessings from God would impact upon the born-again life that you now live, as a new creature in Christ, you'd be right. It ought to. As Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through to 19, if we just look back at these verses, verse 14 in chapter 1, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts, in your ignorance, but as he which have called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, in fear of God, For as much as ye know that ye were not 
redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Therefore, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which resulted in him sacrificially laying down his life at the cross, ought to produce in the believer a holy and a healthy fear, one that can be seen in holy conduct and in holy conversation. This is the fruit of being born again, of having a saviour who laid down his life for you at the cross. Consequently, Peter gave exhortations for all who have been set free by the knowledge of the truth on how they are to use their freedom from sin to live as servants and as slaves as the God of their salvation. For example, in chapter 2 and verse 12, the apostle exhorted Christians to have good conversation, good conduct amongst those who insult and persecute them because of their faith in Jesus. When he said, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter went on to speak to Christians about godly conduct according to their status. For example, in chapter 2 and verse 13, he exhorted all Christians to be in subjection to earthly rulers, such as kings and their governors. We are to submit to them for the Lord's sake. In other words, we are to be in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ who has ordained these higher powers. By being obedient to the earthly, order, or earthly rulers, we demonstrate our obedience to our great God and Saviour Jesus. And to slaves or house servants, Peter said in chapter 2 and verse 18, that they were to be subject to their masters with all fear of God, not just to the nice masters, but to the nasty masters, the wicked masters, even when they were being beaten for no good reason. Their example to follow was Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to his father. Likewise, when you suffer unjustly, rather than retaliate, you are to look to God, whose child you are. That is well-pleasing to your heavenly Father. Also, the person who fixes his gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ when he is being shamefully treated, and not just when everything is going well for him, is truly blessed, everlastingly blessed. We don't want to just be fair-weather Christians. Today, having looked at exhortations to slaves, 
we shall look at exhortations from the Apostle Peter to wives. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he said, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. In those two verses, the subjection of women to their husbands is already assumed to be the case. In those days, there was no feminist movement and the man's position as head of the house was accepted. It was the norm. It was not up for debate. As such, if in a pagan home the the husband became a Christian then the idols would have been thrown out, Christianity would have become the household religion, and his wife and children would have been expected to attend church services with him. However, things would have been very different if it was the wife and not the husband who became a Christian. For one thing, a wife's conversation uh, sorry, a wife's conversion to the Christian faith from, shall we say, Judaism or some pagan religion would have been seen as an act of rebellion against her husband. However, a powerful message would have reached a pagan husband who saw that his wife continued to be in subjection to him. Not simply for cultural reasons, but more importantly, because it was the command of her Christian God, and that would no doubt have met with her husband's approval. We can see that subjection of wives to their own husband is not only taught here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, but elsewhere in the Bible. For example, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul said, Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. And in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, Paul said something very similar. He said, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Therefore, Paul said that wives are to submit to their own husbands and in so doing, They are submitting to the Lord's will. However, don't imagine that an inferiority of wives is implied in these verses. Not at all. A wife may be, and often is, more intelligent than her husband. She'll probably have better table manners than him. And she may may be more spiritual than him. Quite often... I've observed that that's the case. Where wives, they are keen to study the word and to get uh, and to come to a closer relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ while their husbands are busy pursuing their, their hobbies and pastimes, talking about football and things like that. I'm talking about Christian husbands here. 
If she is a Christian and her husband is not, then she most certainly will be more spiritual than him because she is a child of God as a Christian. She is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, whereas her pagan husband, he is dead in his trespasses and sins, spiritually dead. Even then, she is to be in submission to him. That is the command of God. It can be seen that the subjection of a woman to her husband was ordained by God from the beginning when the man was made first and then the woman was made. The man was made from the dust of the earth and then the woman was made from one of his ribs. We looked at that earlier in Genesis chapter 2. God made the woman comparable to the man, unlike the animals that God had made. Therefore, the woman was not in any way inferior to the man. Nevertheless, God made her after the man and he made her to be a helper for him. Being the head comes with responsibility for the man. For example, when the world fell into sin, it wasn't the man who was deceived by the serpent. It was the woman. Even so, As the head over his wife, he and not she was held responsible when sin entered the world and death came by sin. All Christians must surely agree that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We have no problem with that. Well, the marriage relationship with the husband as head of the wife is supposed to reflect the relationship that Jesus has with his church. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul plainly said, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Despite the clear teaching of the Bible, we live in a world of sin where the whole idea of a wife being in subjection to a husband is frowned upon and it is rejected by many. Sadly, there are even Christian women who will not undertake to obey their husbands when they get married. Others pay nothing more than lip service to the clear teaching of the scriptures about subjection to their own husbands. They do that, but on their own terms. The fact of the matter is that a pious wife, in subjection to her husband, has a tremendous ministry in which her conduct is important. Just look again at chapter, uh, sorry, at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Verse 1 applies to Christian wives whose own husband obeys not the word. In other words, he is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has not obeyed the gospel of Christ. He has not shown repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. 
Peter was saying that unbelieving husbands can be won or gained for Christ by the behaviour of their wives. That really is something, isn't it? What that does not mean is that wives are to say nothing. Inevitably, a Christian wife will pray for opportunities to speak to her own husband about the love of God, the riches of his grace and his abundant mercy towards repentant sinners through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is right and proper. After all, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you look at verse 1, the apostle spoke about husbands being one. Being one to what? Being one to Hinduism? Islam? Of course not. Peter was talking about being one to Christ or converted to the Christian faith. And for that to happen, the husband will have to hear about Jesus. He will have to hear about the gospel. However, wives need to be careful not to try to nag their husbands into the kingdom of God. Whilst unregenerate husbands will not take kindly to being preached to by their own wife, her godly demeanour will inevitably be a witness. In verse 2, Peter spoke about chaste conversation coupled with fear. Unconverted people fear all sorts of things, but they don't fear God. They don't fear the living God. They may fear the gods of their imagination, the gods of their handiwork, but they don't fear the, the one true living God. However, the fear that is spoken of in verse 2 is a fear not of man, but of God. And that can be a powerful witness and a challenge because it speaks of a real relationship with a holy and almighty God when a pagan husband sees that his wife truly has a fear of God. That ought to speak to him. A relationship that transcends all other relationships. The chaste conversation or moral purity in a world that revels in things that are neither moral nor pure is also a tremendous witness. A godly wife with chaste conversation and behaviour will stand out like a sore thumb for all the right reasons in this wicked world. Her chaste conversation and godly fear will also have an impact upon her appearance as it is written in verses 3 through to 6. Whose adorning, let it not be that of outward adorning, of plaiting of hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, 
as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Verse 3 addresses the outward appearance, whilst verse 4 considers an inner grace which is to be preferred. Peter was not putting a prohibition on wives taking care of their presentation. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul said, If a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. I've seen from having three girls in my home that long hair takes a lot of looking after. Peter was not advocating that wives should just leave their hair to become a matted mess. Nevertheless, he was urging against a reliance on outward adornment for one's beauty. Primarily, the attractiveness of wives should proceed from an inner grace and not from elaborate hairdos, fancy jewellery and clothes. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is full of truth and grace, dwells in the hearts of all who are trusting in him. Consequently, when Christian wives exhibit something of the truth, the grace, the meekness that comes from having a saving faith in Jesus, that is a beautiful thing and that is pleasing to the Lord. It's generally a good idea to see how things used to be done in olden days. And in verse 5, the holy women of old are commended by the apostle for their meek and quiet subjection to their own husbands. Their holiness stemmed from the fact that their faith and their hope was in God. Nowadays, in the southern states of the United States of America, children address their own father as sir, and they address their mother as ma'am. That doesn't mean that every child everywhere in the world ought to do likewise, but it certainly does acknowledge a respectful subjection of a child to his father and his mother. Likewise, in the Old Testament, Sarah addressed her husband, Abraham, as Lord. Peter wasn't saying that Christian wives ought to address their own husband as Lord, but it does nevertheless convey the fact that Sarah, who is given the accolade of being the mother of believing wives, was in subjection to her husband, Abraham. She called him Lord, she obeyed him. Therefore, dear Christian wives, never mind the spirit of this age which will inevitably preach against that which is pleasing to God. Far better to follow the example of your mother, Sarah. I would like to finish by considering the triune God. In the London Baptist Confession, it is written concerning God that in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided, the Father is of none, 
neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communication with God and comfortable dependence on him. There is no question about it. All three persons of the triune Godhead are fully and equally God. Yet for all that, there is subjection within the Godhead. The subjection of the Son of God to his Father is clearly seen in his work of redemption. For example, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. As such, when the Son of God came into the world to redeem lost sinners, he did the will of his Father who sent him. Consequently, Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, as he bare away their sins. From those words we can see, sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul said, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. From those words we can see that Jesus has authority over man, Man has authority over woman and God the Father over Christ. But just as the Baptist Confession rightly affirms that the Son of God is in no way inferior to his Father, we can confidently say that the woman is in no way inferior to the man. Finally, Whilst others dismiss the subjection of wives to their own husband or else they dismiss marriage as an irrelevance or else they give their approval to same-sex marriage which is nothing less than a perversion of what God has ordained. May it please Christian wives to be in subjection to their own husband as unto the Lord for the glory of God their Father. Amen.